Welcome back to the Blanket Coverage Podcast. It has been a little while, so we do apologize for our tardiness, but it's been quite busy. But as you can see, that is not Noah next to me. That is my good friend, Joey Simmel, who is a student with me at the Newhouse School up here in Syracuse, as you can tell from my bright orange shirt. <laughs> so we are very, very welcome to have you here today, Joey. Uh, Noah is coming later, so uh, he will be in a little bit, but um, Joey is our at least what I would like to say, our resident college basketball expert. So having him today is going to be quite great to get some college basketball insight. Very excited to be here. Talk some college hoops. Nothing better. So, Absolutely. So we're going to go right in to a little bit of my own section just because I wanted to have it up because it's not every so often we can talk about some TCU basketball. That's not bad. And this year is one of those years. It's been a few years. Uh, four to be exact, the last time we saw a TCU team that really was a genuine threat was in 2018 when they faced off against Syracuse in the first round of March Madness and then, of course, lost. Uh, but that was a pretty solid team, but this team is looking like it could be, in fact, a better one than that one. For as good as that TCU team was, this one has played a lot better of a regular season. They've played much better against top-ranked opponents. They had back-to-back win against top-10 teams, first time in school history. And even the Kansas game on the road, because the last three games uh, since we lasted our podcast, it was the number six Kansas upset, which was about a nine seed, I think, projected now, maybe up to an eight. Uh, last time Syracuse, uh, sorry, TCU went to March Madness and Syracuse did not, speaking of the last time they played each other, was 1971. Uh, so it's been quite a minute. Uh, that was the same year Starbucks was invented as a company, if you want to take some uh, a trip down history lane. Uh, FedEx, too, was founded in 1971. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, last time that Syracuse did not go to ne- neither the NIT nor March Madness was 1968 and including TCU making March Madness only three times in history. Did both these schools go to the tournament in the same season? And those three times were the last three times that TCU made March Madness. So quite not, not quite much the crossover for my old and for my new. And, uh, speaking of that, we have, uh, Noah coming in right here. So we're going to have, uh, all three of us up on. I know the formatting for this is fairly heinous, given the fact that I don't think we actually have a proper three-person one. But um, I guess that, but that's – we'll just go this one. But, but yeah, talking about TCU a little bit. Good to have you here again, Noah. But uh, talking about how TCU really has pulled off quite a solid season, despite, um, despite it being not the best history from the last few years, but finally getting this team together, a lot of transfers hitting. Good stuff looking ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, I am absolutely miffed at the fact that I never got to see like a good TCU team. Like 2018, my friend, 2018 was we, we were okay, but like they, they were a tournament we were, team. We were a tournament team, yes, but we still lost to That's Syracuse in the first round. So like I never we, saw we, had, we, we never no beat Kansas you at home. First off, we never beat Kansas at home. Uh, we rarely got the chance to beat Tech at home. Well, we there. never beat Oklahoma, actually. Not a single time. Yeah, we never beat Oklahoma. That The entire time I was at TCU, I was fully convinced that we were never going to beat Oklahoma at a men's sport. No, it was impossible. I, I actually don't know how many times we did in any, in any Every- male sport. And then, no and then, of course, we lo- we lose the first game of a baseball series that same year. We lose the first game of a baseball series to Oklahoma 
And I'm like, oh my God, we can't beat these guys. We won the last two games. So the, you know, the curse was broken. But no, TCU is finally starting to get big wins. And Jack can tell you that I was calling for Jamie Dixon's job last year. <laughs> oh, uh, like more than that, actually. We were <laughs> we were we were not very happy with, with last year, but the one piece of mind that I had at least ending the year, which is I guess is the gamble that paid off, was so much of the team was going to get replaced. The transfer portal yeah. was going to be a massive deal with this last TCU team, and we've seen that. And so basically the only real contributor that was going to be coming back that we knew was going to be coming back, to be fair, because I know Eddie Lampkin kind of came up big out of not necessarily nowhere, but was not thought to be that big of a guy, was Mike Miles. And he has showed out and has been fantastic this year. But so many of the contributors on this team were guys that just sort of showed up. And I think that does speak to Dixon's credit, and I will give him a lot of credit for that. I'll say one more thing about Dixon, too. This this TCU team has a little bit of that old grit and grind that his pit teams did in the old Big yeah. East. Um, they don't shoot the three ball well. I think it's under 30% if I'm right. Um, and then, but defensively, the defensive metrics love them. I mean, you look at Ken Palm, they're top 30 in the country uh, defensively. And if you look at strength of schedule, it's even higher. They're top 10 in the country. Um, yeah. And the adjusted de- uh, defensive rating. So he's got some of that old pit, uh, Jamie Dixon grit and grind going and it's working. And you mentioned they're on that eight and nine line. That's not a team you want to see in the tournament. Um, I mean, you look at, if you're a one seed, what's your worst nightmare? It's getting shut down offensively, right? Cause then that's how these teams pull these upsets and TCU is just the kind of team who can do that. And I think they finally have the team that's built to do it. Um, the team was always very, they had a lot of long athletic wings that could shoot, but they weren't necessarily great at team defense. Um, I think they've gotten a lot better, uh, at team defense and they finally have the guys who can do it. And they've got a stud Mike miles and some yeah. guys who have been in the program for a while uh, and who have actually learned the system. Cause I mean, Jack knows when we were there, the offense was just hand, give Alex Robinson the ball, let him dribble oh, around. No, 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 shoot. no, 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 That was hell of a lot. Games. That, that was, was the worst agony. offense. That was oh, the worst God. basketball offense I've ever watched. It, <laughs> it was just worked. RJ, and then it was RJ just trying to do stuff, which I still will say that his improvement off one season was some of the best I've ever seen. But um, from him going from basically a – complete scrub to being a possible NBA target, which he ended up, I mean, still is doing not much, but is a little bit. And you could have fooled me if I said that like anywhere earlier on, but uh, I did want to share this just as we end our, our big 12 sort of section, I did pull up just to have here what it's going to look like moving on uh, into the big 12 tournament. And so this is what we got. So TCU is the five seed that will go up against Texas and they will probably play Kansas. I mean, I'd be a little surprised if it wasn't at that point, uh, given that their opponents would either be K-State or West Virginia. And then on the other side, you got Baylor OU and then Texas Tech, Iowa State. So given this kind of matchup, what are y'all thinking to what we could see later down in the final? Well, well right. for TCU, I, I mean, that first round game against Texas, it, it's a really, really good barometer test of where you are, right? Because Texas mm-hmm. is a legit top 25 team who's been there the whole year and they've had some struggles, but um, likely a five or six seed come uh, 
come the tournament and if you can beat them and then play Kansas close for a third time, you may see yourself forget the eight, nine game. You might see yourself in that seven, 10 game. I mean, I think there's room for TCU to jump even higher, even if they don't beat Kansas just by beating Texas and then keeping it close with Kansas, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if lightning's going to strike twice, but I don't know if it has to, that's the thing. That's what you were saying about Texas being the good barometer because you know, if you can hang with slash beat Texas um, and then hang with slash beat Kansas, yeah, you're going to be a legit team. Um, but I, I just don't know if I see it happening twice. Um, that being said, Jamie Dixon's done a hell of a coaching job this year, probably the best since he's been at TCU. Um, probably that or the other champ or the other uh, tournament team. But um I wouldn't be surprised if TCU made a little bit of noise. I'd be very surprised if you saw this team in uh, a semifinal or a final. Now, I did want to ask, just looking at this, is is this, and this just may be just clarification question, is Oklahoma State's ter- postseason ban still in effect, I would assume, is why that they're not in this? Yeah. Yep. Okay, because that's what I was thinking, that they still were sort of reaping the – I didn't even notice, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Punishment, right. yeah, because I saw there were nine. I was like, okay, State's not here. So, because I saw they, they beat Texas Tech yesterday. Um, but uh, but last note on this: Do we still think Baylor's going to come out of that sort of bottom bracket? Texas Tech's the only team down there who can beat them, uh, like plain and simple. I think, um, and they've looked a little shaky recently. Um, so, for yeah, my money, loss, yeah. Yeah, for my money, and Oklahoma State's not a very good team either, um, postseason ban or not. Um, so it has to be Baylor on the bottom. I think the upper part of that bracket is a lot tougher. I mean, it's not, it's not even close. I mean, hell, hell, West Virginia just beat TCU yesterday. Um, yeah, that's even a good team, you know. So that was seven straight losses, by the way. They lost seven straight in a row before beating TCU yesterday. So they've been on a pretty bad downturn. I think Kansas and Baylor is what I would be. I would be surprised if we didn't see Kansas and Baylor um, in that championship game. And to move on to our next section, which I'll, I'll go ahead and take this down and pull up what we got next. And that's going to be a little bit of bracketology. Now I know that we're early on this, but it's not really too early anymore. But on this list, we're going to talk about our last four in and our first four out. And this is going to be basically the test of all the teams in the bubble, where we're kind of looking, what what are sort of the people that are on a little bit of the edge, and what can get them in, what can get them out. If we think that they might not even need to be on this list at all, if they already pretty much got themselves secured, or if there's not really any chance at all for them. We're going to pull this up right here so all y'all can see. So these are the 12 teams that are sort of in that list, but obviously these eight are I mean to click on them. Um, these eight are kind of the big ones to look out for because they're the ones, I guess, closest on the edge of the bubble. So with that, Rutgers, Xavier, Memphis, Loyola, and then Indiana, BYU, SMU, and VT being out. So are there any big-time frauds on this list? Is anybody else in? I think we can all agree that North Carolina is pretty safely in, at least on that far, far left side with that Duke win last it's gonna night. going to get a big smile from me. <laughs> I know Joey's quite big happy about that. but um. Me. But I think it's fairly obvious that North Carolina has their spot secured. But for the rest of these teams, where do you think they're sitting? I'll say this. I think there's one team on here who doesn't really have a chance to make the tournament. And I think there's one team on here who is 
he's okay. So Michigan is in the last four buys, right? Mm-hmm. I think they are a lot closer to the bubble than that. They're 16 and 13. They got a big game against Ohio state today. Um, and the metrics love them, but at some point you got to take a step back, see 16 and 13 and really ask yourself, if this is a borderline 500 team against everyone. What are we expecting them to do come the tournament? So I think they're a little further down. I think Xavier has no business being in the conversation, uh, to be honest with you, because so the committee, one of the bigger things they take into account is recent performance, right? So Xavier started the year off great, seemed almost like a lock before they beat Georgetown yesterday. Um, and everyone beats Georgetown. Poor Patrick Ewing, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, they oh, lost did, five did in a mention, row. Did want to mention, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to mention on Georgetown because this was a shocking stat I found. They are 0-19 in Big East games this year. 0-19. I love Patrick Ewing. Um, I have no idea how he's going to keep his job next year, but he is. They've already said it. He's coming back. So, um, I I heard a good take on this, and it's like that's why you don't hire uh, unless you're sure about it. You don't hire a legend like that that you have emotional ties to where you can't say, Hey man, we love you, but you're fired. It's a really tough thing to go in and tell Patrick Ewing, "Hey buddy, you're fired. Sorry <laughs> about it." Like you could do that to anyone else, like any old chump off the street, but then you bring in Patrick Ewing, the greatest player arguably to ever come out of your school. Um, and and the thing with that though is all these programs they hire these guys and keep it quote within the family, right? And right eventually that catches up to you. I mean, you look at Michigan's another good example with Jawan Howard. I mean, they've been good under Jawan Howard, but with what happened in that Wisconsin game, I think there are very few coaches in America who keep their jobs after that. And Jawan Howard's one of them because of what he's done for Michigan. And frankly, because they've been really good since Jawan Howard got there. Um, But But would the same be said for Ewing, basically, if if that had happened, basically? yeah, although it's a little easier to fire him after that if you're 0-19 in the Big East. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, and by the way, if we want to talk Syracuse, how did they lose that game? But um, Xavier has no business being on the bubble, just to bring it back. Five in a row, including two against St. John's, who's a bad team. St. John's is not sniffing the tournament. Um, so you do that, you beat Georgetown, and I guess, barring a run in the Big East, I don't think they have a chance to get in. I think when Lenardi updates these, um, they will be on the wrong side of the bubble, possibly even in the next four-out section. And beating Georgetown by a lot doesn't really do much to help the resume anyway, because that was Xavier Nothing. last night was beating Georgetown by a billion. I don't think it does but, anything to change. Uh, you, you beat a quad four team. I mean, it's, it's, that's what you're supposed to do if you're a tournament team. Um, I also think Memphis is possibly the most interesting team in the country. I mean, they already fired Rasheed Wallace. <laughs> and you got Penny Hardaway and Amani Bates. And honestly, considering where they were at the beginning of the year, the fact that they're even sniffing the tournament um, shows you what Penny Hardaway, another legend who was hired at his old school, um, he's done a really good job settling them down and getting them back to winning ways to even have them having a chance at the tournament. And I think they'll ultimately get in because of Amani Bates, because of Penny Hardaway, because they're Memphis. Yeah, well, and, I and, wanted to make a note. Oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just think for the Memphis program, like that, that program was in pretty bad shape. 
when Penny Hardaway took over. And and it's not like a Duke or a Kentucky where, yeah, you can add some of these five-star recruits and the one-and-dones, um, and they're going to help you for a year and then be out the door. Uh, Memphis doesn't have the sort of program infrastructure to take that on quite yet. So, yeah, it's been really impressive that Penny Hardaway has been able to take essentially a bunch of 18- and 19-year-old kids um, in a program that did not have much leg to it, uh, even after last year, um, did not have much leg to it. Uh, and I, I think he's done a tremendous job. You're right. And I think looking at that oh, first four out section uh, as well, in Indiana has by far the best shot to move up. And that's just because of the amount of quality wins in the Big Ten. Um, that bracket's not set yet. Like we said, Michigan still plays today. Um, they barely lost to Purdue yesterday and they have a chance. I think they're a good team. It's surprising. They're on the bubble. I think they've underperformed in a lot of ways, um, lately. And trace, trace Jackson Davis is legit star and legit stars often carry you in March. So if, if he can do that, um, in the big 10 tournament, they could find their way in for sure. I do want to make a note on one last team in here that we haven't touched on as much and, and more really a conference than the team. And that's on BYU because BYU actually played last night and lost. Um, they lost to San Francisco, who's a whole other team that we see on yeah, the last two last four buys, who I really, really have liked what San Francisco's put up this season has become a, a, a very, very solid team. And looking at the West Coast Conference, I mean, this is I know uh, Joey and I were talking a little bit before the podcast. And that was a good point that he made about. Gonzaga's always been the team in the West Coast Conference. That's sort of an obvious thing that we know. But they've made the conference so much better of them almost just existing in it. And look at that. We see Gonzaga 23-3, and 13-1 and in the West Coast Conference, which is obviously the most dominant record. But San Francisco's 24-8, and 10-6 in the conference. St. Mary's 24-6, 12-3 in the West Coast Conference. And then BYU 22-10, and 9-6 in the conference. And even if you want to throw it in Santa Clara, who beat TCU earlier this year, 21 and 10, 10 and 5 in the conference. That's a lot of really decent teams here. And, and that's not even good. St. Mary's in the list. I, didn't, I forgot about St. Mary's in here. Too. And you're talking about bringing the rest of the conference with them. Look at last weekend at Little St. Mary's in that tiny gym. That gym looked like it was a, the roof was about <laughs> to blow off at any moment when they beat Gonzaga. Uh, that's what Gonzaga is doing. And, and we can talk all you want about. Well, Gonzaga is the only actually elite team in the conference, but what they're doing is they're bringing in money and recruits for these other teams. And I think the conference as a whole has been better for years than people have given it credit for, to be honest with you. Um, and part of that is because Gonzaga has been so dominant, but finally this year you're seeing 20 years of having a perennial top team payoff because that means, you know, if you're San Francisco, you could pitch these guys, you get two big games a year. You know, um, and that's something that a lot of teams at that level can't pitch. And San Francisco specifically, I think they have a chance to make some noise come tournament time. I mean, they shoot the three ball exceptionally well. Um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Yahan Masiki, I think I did that right. Might not have essentially averaging a double double. Um, so they, they have talent. They can hang. Um, and Good shooting teams in March, those are the ones that pull upsets a lot of the time. Good shooting and good defense are what help you in March, and good guards, but that's a different conversation. 
a whole good team tends to help too. So, well, right. I get, <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. But um, but now we can look at the updated of uh, top teams in bracketology. You know, we've been talking about some of the teams that are in and out, talking about some Big Twelve. But who are some of the giants that we have in here? And we're just gonna scroll right down on this list, and we can see everything sort of put in here. But in these top teams, at the one seeds, we have Auburn in the East, Baylor in the South. Arizona in the Midwest, Gonzaga in the West, and then the two, three, and four at least here are Wisconsin, then Texas Tech, UCLA, on this side, Kansas, Purdue, and Providence, who's had one heck of a season. Um, in the South, the two, three, and four are Duke still at the two, uh, Tennessee at the three, and Houston moving up to the four. And then in the East, we have Kentucky, Villanova, and Illinois all staying put. So out of any of these teams, do we see any legit people that are just – they're not going to be moved no matter what. They're good to go. Any that may slip out of here and maybe a few that deserve to be a little higher. I think Gonzaga's clinched a one seed. Um, I'm not sure anyone else has. What you have this year in the two line, the three line, and to some degree even the four line are teams that can legitimately win the national championship. Um, and it's been a long time since we've had that. I mean, you look at Illinois as, as a four seed. I don't want to play them in the Sweet 16. They're a team who, yep. when they've been fully healthy, has been a lot better in a four seed, and they're coming battle-tested from the Big Ten. You know, you look at Kentucky and you look at Duke. You know what scares me most about Duke as a North Carolina fan is that they're going to find a way. And Coach K is good enough to do this. They're going to use that loss last night just to propel them to win the ACC tournament and then win the whole thing, you know, and, and that's going to be – Really frustrating. But they they could. Um, <laughs> they really could. I also think Auburn, um, Auburn or Kentucky will get a one. Um, whoever wins the SEC has that one seed clinched. Um, I've been on Auburn since before the season started. I, what, what Walker Kessler is doing at Auburn and all the talks about Jabari Smith and rightfully so, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. But what Walker Kessler is doing, getting triple doubles with blocks, I mean, come on. And the fact that he transferred from Carolina doesn't make me very happy, but there we go. Um, and you want to look at the three line as well. Purdue can find their way to a one seed. If Purdue wins the Big Ten, I think they could find their way to the one line as well. So I, I just think all over the map, you've got talent um, in the one through four lines that is pretty unprecedented and, and it's all pretty even. I think we're going to see a lot of upsets come March. So, now that I've said that, when you do your bracket, put all the one seeds in the final four. Um, but a lot of upsets, a lot of upset potential because there are a lot of good teams, and I don't think there are any great teams. So, it's kind of like college football, but better. Same yeah, kind of you know, I, 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 I look specifically at the teams in the SEC because I think the SEC has been the most fun conference to watch this year, personally, um, with the depth of quality to mid-level teams that you have in the sec any one of these teams in in the bracket in the top part of their uh region any one of these teams has a chance to lose in the sec tournament and not just lose but lose early they could lose in a quarterfinal we might not see some of these teams make it to the championship i think arkansas has every bit of a shot to win the SEC and move themselves into one of those top four seeds. Um, I think Tennessee 
has a chance to at least make it to the championship. We've seen him do it before and then lose. Uh, I think Tennessee could easily make it to the championship and put together a run. Uh, they've started to come together as of late. And then obviously Auburn and Kentucky. Um, but the rest of the conference is nothing to, you know, scoff at. I think LSU can be a threat to anyone in this conference. Um, it's a really deep tournament. And I think that's going to be the, the tournament to watch as far as teams shuffling around seating. Like what version of Alabama are you going to get to? Yeah, Alabama is like one of the most interesting teams we've had in college basketball in forever. Because when they shoot the ball and they play at their best, they can legitimately beat any team in the country. They just don't do it very often. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It, but you, you mentioned Tennessee and Arkansas. And like I was saying, good guards in March um, will often win you games. Kennedy Chandler and Santiago Vescovi are probably the best backcourt in the country. Um, Purdue's backcourt led by Ivy might have a word. Um, And what JD Note has been doing um, at Arkansas the last couple weeks is, is borderline insane. Um, So the fact that the SEC is so deep, supposedly a football conference um, tells you a lot about where we are in the country as a whole this year, heading into the tournament. But you are taking it out big picture. You look at what the SEC was maybe four or five years ago. This was not a deep conference. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I would go to the SEC tournament because it would be in Nashville sometimes. So I, I would go to the SEC championship and you get like the SEC championship that I went to was Marshall Henderson's Ole Miss versus uh some iteration of Florida, I believe, post Billy Donovan. Um, <laughs> it was not a super like deep conference, and now you have so many teams uh, that that have a shot to get one of those top four seeds. Generally, the with the SEC, at, oh, sorry, just real quick. Generally, with the SEC, you get Kentucky, the top of the country, and like one other team who's fi- top fifteen ish. And then another team was hovering around the top 25. Not this I year. remember when that other team was Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas yeah, had, had it for a minute. Runs. Bobby Portis, Arkansas. Um, those were some fun teams as well. <laughs> so, but. But uh, to look a little bit at a big, when you're talking about big picture a little bit for conference outlooks. And again, we're obviously looking ahead a little bit because the grand majority of these conferences have not wrapped things up um, in terms of regular season, though a few have. And we only have one team that is officially confirmed to be going dancing, and that is Murray State. Now they get their 18th bid, their 18th Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference title. is their first since 2019, so not too long of a wait, of course, with John Morant. And they're 30-2, and 20-0 in the conference. They've won 20 games in a row. So safe to say Murray State is bringing in some heat out of the Ohio Valley. I know that usually it's not exactly a powerhouse conference, but we saw Murray State – pull off an upset a couple years ago with jaw. Um, but that's going to be an interesting team to sort of see around March. Cause I know it's those kind of like lower seed teams that always are hot and pulling off big wins and perhaps they could do something big. They beat Moorhead state who was actually, they went to the tournament last year instead of Murray state. So maybe you could see something interesting out of there. I don't know. I love looking at these sort of mid-major teams that could make big hits. Murray State's a very interesting one just because they worry me a little bit just because they've played so many close games recently. Um, but 
they have the talent to make noise. I mean, you don't go 30 and two, regardless of your schedule um, by accident. And the fact that they didn't stumble in the tournament, even if those games were close, gives me a lot of confidence in them actually, because that means they know how to play close games. They know how to play win or go home games. And even when they're that, that's when they're chasing, that's when they're the team that, or I'm sorry, that's when the team, they're the team that's being chased. They're the one seed. They're the one everyone wants to beat. Now they, they're not going to have any expectations and good teams with no expectations sometimes can make some noise. And this team was able to beat Middle Tennessee State um, and they lost to Auburn was their only loss and they lost by 13 and that was uh, on the road. So for only having those two losses, uh, that's oh, another one. It was the ETSU, which is an early season slip up, but um, not too shabby for a team that's that's I mean, 30 and two. You know, that's about as good as you can possibly do here. Uh, other big conferences, uh, we know that the ACC, uh, Duke has won in the regular season. They'll be the one seed. Big 12, uh, Baylor slash Kansas, because I don't actually think it's wrapped up yet. We know for a fact that Kansas has at least a share of the title with their victory over Texas, which, wow, if you haven't seen the highlights of that game, go back and watch it. Um, I was able to watch the whole ending of it, and that was an incredible overtime game. Um, Wait, Big 10, Wisconsin quick, has won it. Oh, sorry, sorry. Real, real quick, shout out to – Shout out to Baylor and Texas for one of the funniest college basketball moments maybe ever because ESPN had to push Coach K's uh, whole pregame ceremony onto ACC Network because that game went to overtime. Um, and not to be confused with Coach K's postgame ceremony, by the way. Two different ceremonies. Just want to throw that out there. Yes, I, I know you had some some choice comments on it that were quite <laughs> funny last night with uh, with all of that. But um, but yeah, it was kind of strange seeing all that on the double thing. I was just going on a stream on my on my laptop, so I I didn't really see anything of the um, of the ceremonies because it was just the game itself. But I'm certain that was a little awkward on live TV. Uh, Big Ten Wisconsin uh, won that that tournament. We saw Big Cat from Barstool was actually at, uh, on the floor uh, for the tournament of of the tournament victory of that, or I guess uh, regular season victory, which was quite hilarious. Um, A10 looks like Davidson is taking the lead in that. I'm not sure if they clinched yet. Uh, Pac-12, Arizona, SEC, Auburn, and West Coast Conference, Gonzaga. So it's just a few of the teams that have locked it up. But I did want to mention a couple of ones on here that at least I saw that were teams that could be interesting coming later. Um, And my two teams I just wanted to shout out here were Colgate of the Patriot League and South Dakota State of the Summit League. And the reason why I wanted to shout both those teams out was because South Dakota State is actually the number one three-point shooting team in the league and by a pretty wide margin. In fact, they're shooting at about 45% as a team from three and nobody else in the country is shooting at 41% or higher except for them. And I know it's a little bit far fetched because it's South Dakota state. And we know these seven league teams typically don't do a ton in the tournament, but if this team can get hot shooting, I don't know. And Colgate's kind of the same way where they torched Syracuse earlier this year, one by 15 in the dome, put up a hundred on Syracuse's heads which I get, obviously, this was not a very typical Syracuse team, but in terms of quality. But it's still really hard to put up 100 points on a major team, even though it's it's Syracuse, who, again, wasn't terrible this season. They just weren't very good and were very mediocre, but they weren't awful like what we've seen with teams like Georgia or Georgetown. And, no, what Colgate did to them was, was very impressive, and same thing with South Dakota State's been able to do. So those are a couple of teams – that both won the regular season. They still are playing through the conference tournament, so they have not clinched that yet. Uh, so they not, aren't necessarily going dancing, but uh, they are in prime position too. So if either of those teams get in, what you were saying about those uh, hot hot shooting teams, that could be a pretty wild ride for either of them. Yeah, and, and as we've talked about how good the top of the country is in college basketball, but there are no great teams 
And that means everyone is upset prone uh, to some degree. So you get a 15 seed like Colgate, a 14 seed like South Dakota State. Who knows? You know, and I'll throw one more team in there. Princeton from the Ivy League. Always watch out for the Ivies. They fight hard. They're there to win. And not a team I want to play. And we haven't seen them in a bit because they didn't play last season. And then obviously no one played in 2020. So it's actually, it's been three years since we've seen any Ivy leagues at all in March Madness, <laughs> um, which is kind of bizarre to think about. But uh, so yeah, those kind of teams, I mean, like you're saying, they're easy to forget there because it's not only been a obviously smaller conference, that I believe, but we just simply haven't seen anything from these teams and they're putting up some pretty solid numbers uh, out there, at least in the East. But no, you have any teams you wanted to shout out? <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> but i i i love davidson going into the tournament um they are shooting the cover off of the ball uh they are top 20 uh number 12 specifically in kim palms uh adjusted offensive efficiency um they are top 10 in the country um, in points per shot, which means they're shooting very efficiently. Uh, I, I love Davidson going into the tournament. I think they can make some noise, but this is also one of those teams that's primed to just get a terrible matchup in the first round. I'll say this about Davidson true, and the A-10. If you want to look at some bracket busters um, and pushing teams down because the at-large or the automatic bid doesn't go where you think it's going to go, a is a good place to look. They have some legitimately good teams that can beat Davidson in this tournament. And if they do, Davidson's probably still an at-large team. Um, and that'll push the bubble back a spot. I mean, you look at VCU, Dayton, uh, St. Louis, I think it is. Yeah, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure has so many pieces back from that team that was so good last year in the A-10. They've underachieved, but if they can make some noise in the A-10 tournament, find a way to win it, all of a sudden Day- uh, Davidson steals an at-large bid from someone and pushes the bubble back and i know before carolina won that game yesterday i was terrified of situations like that i was monitoring every conference who's stealing my at-large bid because carolina was going to be real close before yesterday i think so um keep an eye on the a10 and one last note before we wrap things up because i had to go and get some lacrosse coverage in today uh, my second time covering a full day of it which will be a lot of fun but yeah, just just like that, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, a good good six seven hours of that. I've never but played lacrosse in my life. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> I, right. I have not either, so I, I'm certain I would be terrible if I tried. But uh, but it'll be fun nevertheless. But uh, last note on this, just a very strange college basketball oddity I wanted to bring up. But what in the world is going on in the A Sun Conference, a conference that, frankly, we haven't really talked about much ever because it's the A Sun Conference. But something weird is going on here because Bellarmine defeated the regular season champion and probable postseason champion. Now, of course, will not be Liberty. And with that victory, we'll go into the A Sun Championship against Jacksonville, who defeated Jacksonville State. Uh, the I think it's Gamecocks, right? Or something like Jacksonville yeah. State or whatever. Is that right? Yeah. Against the Jacksonville Dolphins. Um, good to have some aquatic mascots for Jacksonville. But those two teams facing off in the A Sun Championship. And then, of course, you'd think, well, of course, the winner's going to go to March Madness. That's how it works. Not in this case, because Bellarmine is still transitioning into Division One, which means they are not eligible to get a March Madness bid, despite the fact that they're eligible to participate in this tournament, which seems quite bizarre that they can still play this whole tournament out and even win the whole dang thing and still not get a bid. So the question is, who gets it? 
if Bellarmine wins, because of course if Jacksonville wins, they get the bid anyway. Well, after some digging into it, I thought that Jacksonville would get the bid either way, which if they did, it would be their fifth bid ever and their first since 1986. But it turns out that actually Jacksonville State will get the bid to March Madness if Jacksonville loses, which meant they lost in the semifinals and just sat down and watched the finals from home. And if Bellarmine gets the upset, they go dancing, which so, would be absurd. <laughs> I just want to point out how refreshing it is uh, to be participating in the conversation of a sport uh, where you can actually earn your way into the postseason. <laughs> That is a good thing. That is a good thing. Speaking of that. You said the committee within like the first five minutes of this. You just said the committee and like the hair raised on my back. I was like, ugh, I don't like that word. We need to go. I don't know if you I don't know if you saw our previous rants. We've had some long, long long-winded rants about uh, the committee. Um loosely. It's a loose term for it's just a bunch of random people in a room uh, complaining about things like quality of sport uh because they don't like ADs. So, <laughs> it's a bunch with of like, ad's agendas nobody likes ad's with agendas they're <laughs> yeah, like uh, i, they're I not sure coming, do hate they're fun not coming into that room going oh I'd, 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 i really liked ohio state this weekend they're going no what what gives me the most money what is good for my conference <laughs> which ironically is usually liking ohio state <laughs> yeah which is usually speaking ohio of that. State. yeah no, but uh, fortunately, this at least has a set uh, ray of rules that normally uh, weeds out teams with agendas. But at least in this case, it seems a little bit odd that the rules would make it do that. I still don't know why Bellarmine would be allowed in the tournament if they can't even qualify, because I guess it just counts to win the ASUN. But, I mean, that is something, I guess, because this kind of is their March Madness in a way, because if you can't go to the tournament, you might as well play this series like they are, which – is admittedly very impressive. I mean, Bellarmine was not supposed to get anywhere near the finals and they made this incredible run. So um, I'm probably going to be watching this game. I think it'll be kind of fun. I love watching all these sort of small mid-major tournaments because they tend to produce some pretty fun basketball. I know I watched that last time with the Horizon League. Actually, three out of the four semifinals ended up either going to overtime or being one on the final shot of the game. So, and that's kind of incredible. So I really enjoy watching these. They always tend to produce some pretty fun content and I can't wait to get things started this week. So if y'all don't have anything else to add here, any other end notes? Final thought. I'm just going to rattle them off. Ten teams who the, – the national champion is going to come from these ten teams. Gonzaga, Auburn, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Baylor, Arizona, Wisconsin, Tennessee, or UCLA. There. You heard it here first. I can narrow we'll that it down. T- I can and narrow Purdue. that list Purdue. down to four. Purdue. Just based Forgot on who's Purdue. not going to win. Forgot Purdue. Purdue can win the whole thing. So 11. <laughs> Yeah, so 11, 11 teams. 11 teams. So, I, I, so what, what, what would you narrow it down to, Noah? I can, I can whittle that down to down to like four or five. Um, Tennessee's not going to win because they're Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> Fair. There, there were Fair. a couple of, there were a couple other Rick teams. Rick Barnes is cursed. Yeah, give me, give me the list one more time. And I'll, I'll just give you an instant reaction of yes or no. Gonzaga. Yes. Auburn. Yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. Duke. Yeah. Kansas, yeah, Baylor, five, yeah, Baylor's always got a chance. Arizona, no, ooh, <laughs> Wisconsin, no, Tennessee, nope, UCLA, not a chance. Purdue, yes, 
Purdue's got a chance. By the chance. way, I, I wrote if these can, down. I have a list of these, so we will we will be checking in and seeing how far these teams end up getting. Because as soon as you, you said Arizona, Wisconsin, Tennessee, I'm just like, no, no, those those <laughs> are all teams that like auto loss in the Final Four or the Elite Eight. Arizona, it Wisconsin, Tennessee, UCLA are the weakest four on that list, I think. Yeah. But so pick one of those four teams to win the whole thing, now that I said that. Okay. Yeah. Go. So, so in, what, in like my fifth bracket, yep. I'll have one of those teams <laughs> yep. go win it. And it should oh, be Wisconsin. Having, I'm having a bracket with Duke winning the whole thing purely from Coach K's spite of losing to UNC. Just, just powered by spite. I think, I think that would just that deserves a bracket on its own. That was a top like 10, five, 10 sports moment for me of all time. I mean, just like the buildup to that game, you, you would have thought they were playing like some high school team. I mean, North Carolina was not mentioned a single time no. in the buildup. I, I mean, I watched all of college game day yesterday. They legitimately went an hour between mentioning North Carolina and talked about the game the entire time. I'll it tell you what, I put 20 on Carolina as soon as that game. So. Good for you. Good for you. I put 20 on Carolina. I was Good for like, you. I was like, I got I got a feeling. I got a feeling that everyone's on Duke. This line is so it was too. It was too put up. It was too, it was too, it was too much. Were, you knew it was going to happen. It's because everyone and their mother is thinking, oh, I'm going to bet Duke. Coach K's last game. No, no way they don't cover. And then they lose. They were 11 and a half point favorites as of noon yesterday. When uh, when Baycott dunked that ball yeah. on the first play, that was I was like, okay, all right, this this is different. And by the way, having watched every Carolina game this year, that was an entirely different North Carolina team than has shown up to any game. Well, that they and I actually, because no, you, I, didn't, I didn't mention this, but I watched the last UNC Duke game with Joey. I was there with that. And within the first, which I, I do laugh about this now, within the first, <laughs> it could have been five minutes of the game. And I know I, I don't mean five minutes of game clock. I mean five minutes of us sitting and watching the game. He was like, we're going to lose this by 20 or 30 easily. And what was it, like a 20-point loss? <laughs> I mean, he nailed it in the first five minutes. He was like, I know what's going to happen. And so I wasn't there for this one because I was um, taking time off because I had such an insane weekend, which, again, I got to go and do all that today. But um, – but I figured that the attitude was different because I was checking up on the game when I was getting other work done. And, um, and yeah, I was sort of like, well, you know. Felt different from the tip. Different. Felt different from the tip. That's what she said. Yep. All right, and that'll do it for this oh, episode man. of The Blanket. Right at the buzzer. Right at oh, the buzzer. God. Good well, Lord. Thank you to Joey for joining us. We appreciate you, and I assume you will be back because March Madness is just kicking off. I mean, this oh, is yeah. – Oh, I'll be back. You're not getting rid of me well, that easy. Appreciate oh, you guys yeah. for having me on. I'm, I'm very excited for that episode as well, as fun as this one was. Uh, there's nothing like some predictions. I actually had an idea for that um, because what we did last year, just to mention this before we sent off um, – that what we did last year was not only did Noah and I obviously make our own brackets, but we made like a joint blanket coverage one. And I was thinking the best way to do that this year, because obviously we're all going to have our own brackets anyway, because now we have three. We could do a two out of three or unanimous and go through and pick who we think as like a blank coverage bracket and just see how it does. So I'm, okay. I'm tempted okay. to try that out. I like that. As, um, I like that. Again, we all have our own brackets anyway, but I'm thinking why not make another for the fun of it and we'll track how it does and see if it does better or worse than any of our individual ones. And um, I think that could be a fun thing to go through on the pod. Absolutely. Sounds good. <laughs> good work, team. Well, All right. Well, 
If Go that ahead. is it for you guys, that's all for me. Thanks so much for listening to the Blanket Coverage Podcast. Once again, uh, please go check out our Bet US page. Uh, go check out bet.us.pa uh, and use the promo code GTDS125. You get a $125 bonus on a deposit of $50 or more. It's awesome. It's free money. Sports gambling is awesome. Gamble responsibly. Uh, but for now, uh, once again, thanks so much for listening. I'm Noah Parker. And I'm Jack Wallace. Peace Joey's out, Joe. Happy to be here.